Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline Friday, October 26, Chicago, Illinois. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly look at market activity and what's ahead in the business world as well as the commodity world. Max Armstrong will be joining me a little bit later, and he'll be talking today to Donna Hughes of Cape and Son, Abilene, Texas, to sort of look at the markets. And one of the commodities we don't normally take a close look at, the cotton market. So that'll be coming up a little bit later here in the markets. But if you like volatility on Wall Street, you had to love the last two weeks or so in the stock market because volatility has been at a high. And the S&P 500 ended at its lowest level today since early May. After technology and Internet shares sold off further, capping a volatile week that confirmed a correction for the NASDAQ. The benchmark S&P 500 itself flirted with correction territory when an index closes 10% or more below its all-time closing high, but it recovered to end off that level. But what uh, traders described as grim results yesterday from Amazon.com and Alphabet Google, two stocks that have helped power the stock market's decade-long bull run, sparked the day's sell-off and overshadowed data showing that the U.S. economy continued to grow at a healthy clip. One analyst said it's all been driven off quarter reporting. When the reports are bad in technology, you get a really bad day because of the elevated valuations. Investors may see more volatility through the remainder of the earnings season and ahead of the November 6 midterm congressional election. Once the elections and earnings are out of the way, then we'll have a calmer market, but not necessarily a big move up. Google parent Alphabet's revenue missed estimates fanning concerns that regulatory scrutiny and competition would throttle its scorching pace of growth. The stock fell as much as 5.6% before it recovered at the end of the market to be down just 1.8%. Amazon tumbled 7.8% in its worst daily percentage drop since October of 2014 after it missed quarterly sales estimates and gave a below-par holiday season sales forecast. So at the end of the day, the Dow Industrial Average down 296 points to end the day and the week at 24,688. The S&P 500 dropped 47 points to close at 26.58, and the NASDAQ composite dropped 151 points to end the day and the week at 7,167. The S&P 500 finished at its lowest level since May 3rd. The Nasdaq fell 3.8% for the week. That's its biggest weekly drop since March 23rd. The Dow was down 3% for the week and the S&P 500 down 4% for the week. 
Now, while economic growth is mostly healthy, disappointing corporate results and forecasts this earnings season have shown how tariffs, rising wages, and borrowing costs, as well as concerns over geopolitical events, are hurting companies. But data earlier in the day showed the U.S. economy continued to grow at a healthy pace, and that offered a little support. U.S. gross domestic product growth slowed less than expected in the third quarter as a tariff-related drop in soybean exports was partially offset by the strongest consumer spending in nearly four years and a surge in inventory investment. Jim Paulson, chief investment strategist at the Luthold Group in Minneapolis, said while he expects further downside in stocks, many investors are now doing some bargain buying and looking for chances to buy. He said most people, I would argue, are sitting around talking about where do we buy? They look at the still more as a buying opportunity than a risk. Facebook, Apple, and Netflix, the other members of the so-called FANG group, were also sharply lower as the index fell 3.6%. Declining issues today outnumbered advancing issues on the NYSE by a 2.68 to 1 ratio, and the S&P 500 posted no new 52-week highs, but it did post 88 new lows, while the NASDAQ composite recorded 15 new highs and 323 new lows. Oil prices today moved a little bit higher ahead of the Iran sanctions, but for the third week, did decline. For the day, Brent crude futures up 73 cents to end the week at $77.62 a barrel. West Texas Intermediate crude futures up 26 cents for the day to end at 67.59. And uh, on Brent crude today, that price is down about $10 in the past three weeks. So, Let's not look backward. Let's look forward. And uh, it's going to be another busy earnings report week on Wall Street, along with some government reports as well. But as we look to next week, Apple expected to report an increase in revenue and profit for the fourth quarter. And um, separately, Apple on Tuesday is holding an event at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in New York City, where the company is expected to unveil new iPads, Mac computers, and other new products. Facebook expected to report an increase in third quarter revenue on Tuesday. Chinese e-commerce firm Alibaba Group Holding will report earnings for its second quarter on Friday. And on Friday, ExxonMobil Corporation discloses third quarter earnings for a period in which crude oil prices have traded at the highest level since 2014. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway expected to 
report third quarter results on Saturday of next week. Coca-Cola expected to post an increase in third quarter profit and organic revenue helped by higher sales in North America and demand for Diet Coke and Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. General Electric will be reporting next week, expected to cut financial targets for the year and detail a nearly $23 billion write-down in its troubled power division. GE badly missed its earnings a year ago and also cut its full-year forecast. Now, what about government reports? Well, non-farm payrolls data will be announced on Friday. It's expected to show the payroll figures up at 190,000 in October from 134,000 in September. Labor Department's monthly unemployment report likely will show the unemployment rate in October remained unchanged at 3.7%. The U.S. trade deficit expected to widen to $53.7 billion in September. That would be up from August reading of $53.2 billion. And uh, some other reports that will be out. ADP National Employment Report to be released on Wednesday, they think, will show private payrolls advancing by 187,000 in October following a rise of 230,000 jobs in September. Commerce Department expected to show initial claims for state unemployment benefits uh, went down 2,000 for uh, the week ending October 27. So some other reports. Thursday, Starbucks expected to post its biggest growth in same-store sales in over a year as the company puts past troubles in its home turf as well as China. eBay expected to report an increase in revenue. Yum Brands, that's the uh, parent of KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, expected to post an increase in comparable restaurant sales for the third quarter on Wednesday. Cereal maker Kellogg expected to report an increase in revenue for the third quarter. MasterCard also expected to report a higher third quarterly profit on Tuesday of next week. Pfizer will report third quarter earnings on Tuesday. And Cigna Corporation, which gained U.S. antitrust approval for its acquisition of pharmacy benefits manager Express Scripts last month, expected to report a higher quarterly profit on Thursday. A lot of activity. There are a lot more companies that will be reporting their quarterly uh, earnings reports next week. So it's going to be a busy week of analysis on Wall Street. Max Armstrong will be back to talk markets with our market guest when we continue on the market sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. 
With us this weekend talking about the market scene is Donna Hughes from Cape and Sun, Abilene, Texas. One thing that occurs to me is uh, you have a lot of crops to deal with in that part of the world. We sure do. Uh, we've got corn, cotton, milo, wheat, um, variety of crops, uh, some alternative crops, and depending on what the weather does, um, a lot of choices. Those cotton producers need some good news. I mean, it's been a tough year. We've seen all of the images. President of the American Farm Bureau, Zippy Duvall, talked with us the other day about being out in those battered cotton fields of Georgia. And then the North Carolina crop was roughed up. And, of course, there's been too much rain in the Texas cotton fields, too, correct? Absolutely. Um, You know, it just seems like in some areas of the country, the cotton producers just can't get a break. Kind of reminiscent of what we saw in southeast Texas um, when uh, Hurricane Harvey went through there. Producers had just been coming off of um, a bad year with uh, grain markets, and so they had a a high hope for what was going to be that year's cotton season. And with the hurricane coming through and the devastation it caused down there, it um, you know really was uh, a bad deal. And so um, you know, looking at what we had in recent events. Um, Georgia, South Carolina, those areas, um, cotton crop was looking to be very good. And unfortunately, they took a one-two punch. And uh, so we'll see what USDA might do as far as production cuts in the next WASD report. Well, let's talk about reports coming up at the month of November. We'll be looking at a new corn crop estimate. We'll see what's happening there. Could the corn crop get bigger than it already is? Um, You know, we're uh, trying to stay on the positive as far as what uh, USDA might have in the WASD for November for corn in particular. Um, You know, cotton with the uh, anticipated production cuts, we'll see if that materializes. Um, Soybeans, uh, you know, not so much. We're uh, looking to have a a good crop. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that and the trade deal has been pressuring soybeans heavily um, over the near term. And um, so, I, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything in the WASD that's going to be supportive for soybeans. Yeah, and this harvest has been a tough one, hasn't it? We still are well behind the average pace in bringing in the bean crop, although in some parts of uh, the eastern Midwest, the combines have been put away for the season, washed off and put away. But the harvest in Iowa, Minnesota, it's been slow and painful. It has. Um, you know, weather certainly has been given producers, uh, you know, some major challenges depending on the region that you're in. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it goes, um, you know, looking forward forward, but, um, you know, certainly looking to get the crop out and, um, you know, looking towards January to see what those actual numbers might be for this year's crop. The weekly crop bulletins have showed no deterioration in the quality, really, of the bean crop one week to the next. And yet, social media, which we know can overplay a story sometimes, has shown us uh, sprouting beans and beans falling out of the pods and pods shattering. Do you think, ultimately, were you losing any yield because of this prolonged harvest and the the challenges in the fields and getting the crop in? You know, I I think you know, ultimately, there's there's going to be some, uh, you know, losses that are going to be reflected that maybe weren't counted on originally. But, um, you know, it's a long time between now and those definite numbers that will come in January. And um, you know, we've got a ways to go with harvest in some areas, and we'll just have to see how it goes as we get down the road. Have you started looking at planting ideas for 2019 yet, uh, you know, given the economics and what we're seeing with corn and soybeans and what 
kind of a balance there might be next year? You know, um, as far as uh, Texas goes, um, you know, producers, they're probably going to be looking at uh, cotton as an alternative, maybe to corn. Um, We started getting calls into the office probably uh, beginning two years ago when we saw that switch starting to happen. We had some producers who hadn't produced cotton ever or hadn't produced in over 10 years, and just the economics of it, that penciled out favorably for them. So we've seen those uh, acres increase in Texas over corn. Right now, we've got uh, some wheel, some uh, fields that have been um, readied for wheat planting, and just because of the excessive rains that we've had, it's the farmers in some areas have been slow to get out and get seeded. So that uh, winter wheat crop is going in slowly then in Texas. Yes, in some areas, uh, you know, we've done a lot of traveling over the past couple of weeks, and um, with the rains that we've seen recently, um, it's it's slowed a lot of areas, and um, you know, probably maybe about two to three weeks out, you know, before we see some of these fields dry out. You mentioned cotton and somebody getting back into the business. I was talking with a grower in the south, oh, must have been about a year or so ago, two years ago perhaps, and and he had had a share in a local cotton gin, and they had shut the gin down. And uh, I, I, I haven't talked to them to see if they've fired it back up yet. I would anticipate maybe they did, unless there was, there was some uh, uh, problem in, in reconditioning the plant and getting it back up for service again. But uh, it's given folks an opportunity to look at cotton in a whole new way, hasn't it? It has. And, you know, in some areas, I mean, it's it's been a tough go with the gins. Um, you know, because of the increased acres we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, some of those gins can start running in November. And we've heard of cotton uh, continuing to be processed through, like, um, February, March, and even into April, depending on the area. So, um, you know, with the economics and everything, um, you know, definitely the landscape has changed. Donna, you're out with growers a lot. You're talking with them on a daily basis. You go out to farm shows and meet them face-to-face, and you're out on their farms. What are you hearing from them? What's the attitude? What's the mindset? And especially as we're talking about grain producers uh, as they look at the, the landscape right now. You know, um, I think probably uh, the attitude of producers might be akin to, you know, what you might meet from somebody who's, uh, you know, not uh, associated with agriculture, kind of some of the same concerns, uh, you know, tariffs, stock market, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the concerns are uh, flowing back to the economics and uh, macro and world markets. So, um, you know, uh, tariffs, definitely, uh, we'd like to see this farm bill uh, get settled before the end of the year, um, you know, those sort of things, and uh, a lot for producers to be thinking about and considering all uh, the hats that they wear, um, you know, uh, when it comes down to those types of things, they look for a lot of help in trying to get that figured out. You mentioned stock market, and you have watched these markets in agriculture for many, many years. What do you think, if we continue to see some big sell-offs in the equity market, Will that impact the commodities in one way or another? In other words, could there be a flight out of the equities and perhaps into commodities? 
You know, um, I think it uh, it depends on, uh, you know, what we see going on. A lot of times when we see money coming out of the stock market, um, you know, there's going to be a flight to safety, you know, like with gold and, and those sorts of commodities. I think with grains and livestock and that sort of thing, um, you know, we could get pressured with that same type of attitude. Some of the funds could take uh, some of this investment money and, you know, get it back into the other commodities as well. So, you know, traders will be keeping an eye on, uh, you know, commitment of trader reports that we see every Friday, um, what the markets may do on a daily basis with open interest and volume. So, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting. I see your tweets on Twitter. You are Belly Maven. I am at Belly Maven, and that goes back to my days when we traded pork bellies in Chicago. And um, at Belly Maven on Twitter, and that's where you'll find me. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk with you a little bit about African swine fever and the extent to which it is occurring around the world. I was with veterinarians this week. I was on the program moderating a panel at the United States Animal Health Association annual meeting in Kansas City, and ASF, African Swine Fever, was certainly a a topic of the week, to be sure. What do you think the extent is in China, and what are the implications for the United States pork industry? You know, um, we've continued to hear of more and more cases in China and in other parts of the world, and, you know, certainly a concern, um, you know, for world production on pork and what uh, the possibilities are of, um, you know, having that spread even further. But, um, you know, we've seen in the hog futures that any of those stories uh, coming out do give support to the market and you know we're thinking pork exports to other countries and um, you know what pork production uh, declines could look like around the world and you know is that going to be reflected in what we do as additional exports from the U.S. I guess that begs the question what happens if it gets into the United States heaven forbid that it becomes uh, a disease in the swine herd of the United States, but does that become a negative that hurts our exports and hurts the market, or does that suggest then there's going to be a depopulation of the herd to some extent, and the overall pork supplies will strength, and then it boosts prices? Um, I think initially, you know, obviously, uh, with something like that, it would be, um, you know, negative to the market and bearish to the prices. Absolutely, and uh, you know, we'd have to see how um, how all that's handled as far as uh, trying to get that under control and you know where the specific problems lie. A lot of these um, hog production facilities they are corporate, and so um, you know, with that, I would think that uh, you know, there's probably some plans being made currently as to, you know, what could happen if we see that come over to the U.S. There's no vaccine for it. There's no treatment for it. So the the herds would be depopulated, I guess, in those instances where the, the African swine fever, ASF, shows up. Thank you for coming in, Belly Maven. Good to see you, Donna. Thank you. I enjoy being here with you. Donna Hughes, Cape and Son, Abilene, Texas. On Twitter, she is Belly Maven. Twitter at Belly Maven. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. 
CME Group. Advance with confidence. This week in Indianapolis, 67,000 members of the FFA, the National FFA Organization, came together for the 91st Annual Convention and Expo. And once again, a lot of excitement and a lot of scholarships awarded to college students and a lot of other activity and a real strange situation, at least to me, because I've attended every convention with the exception of three since 1960, but I'd never seen this happen before. On Thursday night, when they named the Stars of America, they name four of them every year, and for the first time in my memory, the four stars came from states that border each other in the heart of the Midwest. So taking a look at the stars that were named, the original star farmer of America. Well, this year, he is from Missouri, and his name is Austin Stanton. He's from the Centralia FFA chapter in Centralia, Missouri. He operates a multifaceted agricultural enterprise with his brother called Stanton Brothers. His hallmark product is eggs. He owns more than 15,000 hens and sells the eggs to neighbors, restaurants, local grocery chains, and the University of Missouri dining halls. Star Farmer of America. Austin Stanton from Missouri. Then the uh, agricultural placement winner from Minnesota. His name, Colin Wagner. And he is the uh, big motivator behind his career in agriculture. In high school, his FFA advisor told him to take advantage of the opportunity to be involved on the family farm. And so the native of Wells, Minnesota, did. Now a graduate of South Dakota State University, he works full-time with Wagner Farms and is active in making decisions for the business. Then the uh, Star and Agri-Science winner for 2018. He's from Iowa. His name is Eric Kulmus, a student from the... South O'Brien FFA chapter in Paulina, Iowa, and his uh, idea in high school for his supervised agricultural experience sprung out of a science fair project for biology class. And then the fourth star that was honored Thursday night from Illinois, Star in agribusiness, Ben Curtin of the Taylorville FFA chapter in Illinois is the winner of that star award. And so when you take a look at the four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Missouri, the stars of the FFA at the FFA convention. And uh, that convention will be coming to a close on Saturday afternoon with the election of the new National FFA officer team and an appearance by President Donald Trump, who will be making an appearance this afternoon, uh, Saturday afternoon, at the uh, FFA convention's closing session. 
couple of other notes today. Let's go south to Brazil. And Brazilian soybean exports in 2018 may surpass a previous record forecast as demand from China remains strong in the final months of the year when shipments normally dwindle. But the word is that uh, we're going to see a 77 million ton soybean export total. That would be unprecedented. And the other note from Brazil this weekend is the fact that planting of the soybean crop, which of course is underway now, and is already at 46% of the soybean acreage in Brazil in the ground. And that is a record pace for this stage in the crop year. At this time last year, farmers had planted only 30% of the area in Brazil, and so that's a 16% gain year over year on that total. Now, let's take a look at where we're going to start the trading week in uh, the commodity world this coming week. Do have to mention that uh, today wheat farmers got a little boost because the wheat futures went up 4%, bounced back from multi-month lows a day earlier, helped by short covering and indications that the U.S. wheat was becoming more competitive globally. So where do we start on Monday? Well, the December wheat contract will start at five dollars five and a quarter cents a bushel after gaining seventeen and a half cents a bushel today. December corn will start at three sixty seven and three quarters after gaining seven and a half cents today, and November soybeans will start the week at eight dollars forty five cents a bushel after gaining three cents a bushel today. And the last trading day of the week uh, for the livestock futures, well, February lean hogs gained $1.80. They'll start trading Monday at $66.37 a hundredweight. The December live cattle contract, after gaining $1.37, will start the week at one eighteen forty five. And November feeder cattle, after uh, gaining $1.10 today, will start Monday at $155.05 a hundredweight. No lack of excitement in the marketplace, and we thank you for joining us for our weekly visit. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group. <laughs> 